This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of March 28th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. As you know, as the title implies, this is a business podcast, so I'm going to assume you are familiar with the concept of supply and demand. Of course, over the last two years, we have left the conceptual stage in the dust in terms of experiencing what happens when supply can't come close to meeting demand. Starting with toilet paper and working our way up to SUVs, we've discussed here on the podcast the persistent supply chain problems that have weighed on the economy and sparked massive inflation. Today, with IBJ columnist and IBJ podcast contributor Pete the Planner, we're going to look more closely at cars and how the supply crisis affects the consumer experience. For example, on the supply side, IBJ in just the last few days has reported on two major Indiana assembly plants temporarily closing because they can't get all of the parts they need. Inventories at new car lots have shrunk to barely recognizable levels, which then puts pressure on the used car market. What this means for the poor souls who find themselves in need of new transportation is higher prices, of course. A recent story in Money Magazine reported that 82% of car buyers are now paying above sticker price, some thousands of dollars above sticker price. According to J.D. Power and LMC Automotive, the average number of days for a car to sell once it hits a dealership lot is now 19 days, down from 51 a year ago. And according to federal statistics, the cost of used cars are up a whopping 40% from last year, or $9,000 from pre-pandemic levels. So again, what does this mean for the consumer besides higher prices? Pete the Planner, aka Pete Dunn, found himself in the position of needing a car and headed out to the dealerships on a recent Saturday, hoping to see how well his negotiating skills have held up during the pandemic. He was in for a big shock. Here's our conversation. I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Pete Dunn, a.k.a. Pete the Planner. How are you doing? God, long time, no talk. Good to be back. I know. I'm sorry. It's been like three months. We don't usually go this long. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a tough three months for me away from this here show. I thought getting away from the bright lights of podcasting would be helpful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to real quick, bring you up to date on a topic that I think I mentioned earlier. I think we have finally finished our home improvement project that uh, we started in October and that I think in a normal year probably would have taken two weeks. So is, did it come in, uh, came in uh, behind schedule? Did it come in under budget or over budget, Mason? I don't, I, pff, budgets, what? <laughs> so <laughs> over budget, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we replaced uh, all of our windows, and we got a new front door and a new back door. And as yeah. you, as as you uh, will assume correctly, it took us months to get all the materials that we needed. And then you know, once they got in there and they saw, well, we need actually need you know this three five four bolt instead of the three five two bolt. Then it took like another month, and then it took another month for this. And then one of the pieces of glass cracked, um, and not because my son was throwing his basketball against the window. Um, and then to get the replacement window, it took forever. So the replacement replacement window. 
That's a riveting update, and I want you to say uh, to know that my sleep pattern will resume to normal now that I have that information you've just shared. So thank you so yeah. much. Well, I, I do that, you know, with an eye towards today's topic, which of course is about, at least tangentially, supply chain problems. And uh, and I will, I'll, I'll I'll let you kind of bring it in here, but I'll start off by saying, uh, I take it from your IBJ column this coming week that you went out shopping for a car this month. Oh, I did. And so here, let, let's fire off the disclaimers now. Okay. All right. Number one, I am not a car guy. Just not. Just not. Uh, number two, I'm going to have some very frank comments during our discussion today. And I don't want you to think that they reflect upon the entire automotive industry, uh, salespeople, car dealers. Uh, I'm hoping we can just on, have an honest conversation and not have it blown out of proportion as to these people are good or these people are bad, but I'm just going to share my experience because it was absolutely jarring. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, start me off quick. What were the circumstances? Why did you need to shop for a car? Did you like drive into a swimming pool size pothole? No. So here's the thing. I happened to have leased right before the pandemic or a year before the pandemic. So that is to say, come May, I was gonna have to turn in my lease, buy my lease, all these sorts of things. So I will shortcut the process for you. Because I had so few miles on my lease, I bought it outright uh, and then resold it. I didn't wanna keep the car, I didn't really like it, which was one of the reasons I leased. Uh, and so I made like $9,000 by acquiring my car and then quickly selling it again. So then I needed to find another car, so I, I chose to lease again. And, and I didn't wanna wait till May because I started hearing about all these supply chain issues. And the only time I had to solve this problem, and I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic here, was last Saturday. And so I dedicated the day to solve the problem, and that's where the real problems began. Okay, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what kind of car were you looking for? I didn't care. That's, that, so being a car guy means you don't care. I wanted a, a, a mid-sized SUV, Brand names meant nothing to me whatsoever. I just wanted one that had some fun features. I didn't care about luxury. I just needed a midsize SUV that got decent gas mileage. Okay. Now, were you looking specifically for new or were you also going to use car lots? I uh, was not going to use car lots because I wanted to lease. And so I was going to, to, to get a new 2022 or 2023 vehicle, um, which made sense for our financial situation. I didn't want to buy it outright. I wanted to lease. So... Uh, right off the bat, I'm going to car dealerships that have four, five, six cars on the lot total. I mean, the supply is so low that there's, you know, dozens of shoppers competing for a dozen cars. That's crazy. Oh, so there, there potentially could be more people on the lot than cars. Oh, 100%. You walk by any showroom, walk into any showroom, there are no cars in the showroom because they have no cars to just have sit there. If there's a car on the lot, a new car, it is selling uh, many times the same day, if not the next day, mm -hmm. and which, which really gets into the point of today's conversation is how the dynamics of supply and demand can really uh, change the buying dynamic that we're so used to in particular industries. You know, there's always this idea that you can go to a car lot and, and haggle or bargain or whatever you wanna call it, Man, those days are so far behind us, Mason. I'm not an expert negotiator by any by any means, 
but there's no leverage. At one point, the finance manager said to me uh, when I pushed back on some absurd fee, he's like, hey, I don't want to be rude, but I, I don't really care because if you don't buy this, someone's going to buy it in an hour. And it wasn't a bluff because there were people in the dealership waiting to talk to someone to buy a car. That's crazy. So, but let me get this straight. So you wanted to lease, not buy. Correct. But these are the same cars that people are looking at to buy. Yeah, that, right. That, that's a really good question because the same pool of new cars goes to people, whether they're buying it or leasing it. Like there's not separate pools of cars. And of course there's used cars too. Uh, but I was looking to lease a, a new car based on my financial situation. And I think a lot of times when financial experts start talking about buying cars and I only buy used and they're like, look, man, there, there are no big fast rules of thumb. Uh, different financial situations um, call for different decisions. And, and in our situation, leasing made a ton of sense the last time around. And we made $9,000 on it. Uh, and this time around, we went with a similar decision. Okay. So kind of apropos of the conversation, it's really about negotiating at that point. Do you have the ability to negotiate? Now, I mean, you know, look, funny thing is in my business life, I can negotiate pretty darn well. In my personal life, when it comes to, you know, major purchases, I'm just not that good of a negotiator. And uh, you know, there's certain elements of negotiation, be, being willing to walk away, you know, having having sort of a drop dead amount, not backing yourself into a corner from a time frame perspective. And by going car shopping in March as opposed to May, I thought I solved some of those problems. But Mason, what I saw was the auto industry has such huge supply chain issues that the problem is going to get worse by the time I got to May. So I made the executive decision within the day to get it done, I left my home at 8.45 a.m. on Saturday morning. I got home with a car, a, a, a new car, at 7.30 at night. And the craziest part about that is once I made my selection and I said, I want to buy this car, I want to lease this car, it took over five hours for me to leave the dealership. Why? I don't know <laughs> other than to say it's chaos. And this is where I don't want to... I don't want your listeners to to take away that I'm like using a bully pulpit to beat up on an industry. I have no problem with the car industry and everyone's just doing their best. Really, I'm I'm not I'm not, beat the planner says car dealers are out of control. No, I'm not. I, I'm just saying it was such a jarring experience from anything I've ever dealt with, and it has a lot to do with supply chain. Mason, as I'm sitting there for five hours, there are car carriers coming up, dropping off new cars. And the second they get on the lot, people are going up and looking at the cars and, and wanting to make a deal on it. It was, it reminded me of the Cabbage Patch Kids craze of the 1980s <laughs> when my mom chased down a, a, a semi at Children's Palace in 1983 and bought me a, a lady doll, Rebecca Sue, because it's the only one they had. And so that's the one I got. I wanted a boy doll. But Rebecca Sue is my playmate for years. It's interesting that you bring up the supply chain problems. We had a story the other day uh, about the Toyota plant in Princeton, Indiana, which, again, uh, is not the first time during the pandemic uh, or the supply chain crisis, uh, is uh, just is going to shut down selectively for several days because they didn't have all the stuff that they need to make cars. Right. So I, I was talking to one particular manufacturer, uh, uh, you know, car dealer manufacturer, when I was out on Saturday. And he said a majority of their wire harnesses, which now, look, I'm not a car. I don't know what a wire harness is. I feel like I'm rock climbing. I don't know what's happening. Uh, we're made in Ukraine. 
Oh, and wow. he's like, they're completely shut down. So this manufacturer, and it, I don't really want to go into it because I, I can't verify that, right? I can't confirm that that is true. Uh, but secondhand, the idea is that that will affect their supply chain and their car supply going into May or June. Well, they may not even be able to deliver cars in May and June. I mean, to your knowledge, is, is it a better deal for the for the dealership for you to come in wanting to lease a car or for someone to come in wanting to buy the car? I don't know. I, I don't, were you I don't, not prioritized for some reason? I don't um, No, I don't think that was it. The weird thing is, and so for years, all of us have heard the acronym MSRP. All of us have heard it. Manufacturers uh, suggested retail price. And you hear, come on, we don't sell above MSRP. We sell below MSRP. MSRP is out the window right now, Mason. So there's something called market adjusted pricing. Uh, it's almost like airlines at this point where um, because of supply and demand, why sell it to me at MSRP if someone's going to come behind me and buy it at $1,000 more? And it's not about leverage, but you have none. You, you have absolutely none, especially if you actually need a car. And so that was the situation I found myself in. And I'm also another disclaimer. I'm not complaining. Like this isn't a complaint. These are observations. I'm fine. I feel myself very fortunate. I, I would figure it out either way. But it's still the situation I was dealing with, right? It was really interesting. And I don't think people understand when you hear about supply chain issues and you have our economy like our economy is, how strange a buying experience can be. Now, the opposite of that, I mean, is sort of the college buying experience, right? If you're if you're shopping for a college education, you still have all the leverage, right? That's a that's the glory of this entire conversation. Is some things you still have leverage because of supply and demand, and others you do not. Yeah, but the uh, for example the uh, the existing home market, which we've been talking about for two years, and it strangely is is just intensifying the problem of. Uh, there being very little inventory and the people who have the means are able to bid up home prices well beyond the, let's say the manufacturer's adjusted realtor price, the, you know, whatever the, uh, the home buyer has, has placed the price at, you know, it's nothing now to, to see uh, bids come in five or 10% above the asking price. Yeah. And, and so I, I am not an economist. Uh, I'm not, but I dabble. Here's where the differences lie. So let's take three things, okay? And we're going to take a house, we're going to take a car, and we're going to take a pizza. <laughs> All right. You don't go into a pizza place and start haggling. You know what? I want it for $7. They're like, no, it's $9. You're like, no, I'd like it. For <laughs> I'll take it for 7 Like, that, that doesn't happen because of supply. They can just make another one. There's, there's no uh, shortage of pizza, right? It has nothing to do with your, what you are willing to pay. You either buy it or you don't and get out get some breadsticks. Now with cars, because it's a, a shorter manufacturing process, as opposed to a, a house, you should be able to have a more similar experience to pizza. Whereas, you know, there, there's potentially some leverage, maybe not, it sort of ebbs and flows. But with housing, because land is more scarce than say a car, and because of um, the, the price tag of these things and, and buyers being qualified. It's just a different dynamic. Where would you normally have expected to have some leverage? Um, I mean, maybe in terms of, a, of incentives for the car or favorable financing. Yeah, when I leased my last car, I mean, there were lease deals out the wazoo, right? I mean, the car lots were, 
filled. And this was in 2019. I think I bought my, I think, man, I'm so bad. The, the pandemic has sapped my brain of trying to understand when time happened. Um, I think May or June of 2019, car lots were packed. And so you got lease incentives to get the cars off the lot, to keep them, keep them moving. There, there's no incentives. It's like, you, you get, buy this or don't, but then just leave, please. When you lease a car, do you have to put money down? Or are you just signing basically a, a rental agreement? Um, it, it depends. It, it can go either way. I typically don't put money down <laughs> on a lease. Some people do. Some people don't. I, I, I tend to not do that. Um, and then it affects your payment, right? And then you've got to stay under the mileage. And I mean, I think you know me well enough that I went home immediately and of course created a spreadsheet that tracks my mileage for the 36 months that I own the vehicle. And, and I even filled in our vacation trips of when we're driving, my commute to work, how many times I go downtown versus the north side. I am a tedious person and I love a spreadsheet. I excel at them. How long have you been using that? That's beautiful. Well, it works. That's good, I like it. Um, do you have do you have any other uh, dirt <laughs> on on the uh, the folks you dealt with at the dealerships? How many did you go to, by the way? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, how many dealerships did I go to? I talked to people at five dealerships. By by two p.m., I had selected the dealership, and I had more or less by two thirty selected the vehicle. And again, I didn't leave till seven thirty. And I also other important notes here. I didn't have problems with financing, right? My credit score was fine. I, I had uh, funds. Didn't even verify my employment. Like, so that was fine. And, and, and yeah, the, you know, I saw other people within the dealership, like their journey that day was delayed by their financing, right? I, I was sitting there listening to these conversations. You know, the Pete the Planner side of me is like freaking out. I want to be like, don't do it. <laughs> but, but the Peter Dunn side of me was just annoyed. You know, what's interesting, and I think this is maybe a takeaway from this conversation, what, what I learned is that most people were ordering a car or, or putting money down on a car that hadn't been manufactured yet. And so it was the backlog. It's like, okay, well, we have been promised, our allocation is we're getting six of these, five of these. One comes April 15th, one comes May 7th. And so you found people like looking at these spreadsheets uh, of like, and then people are saying, okay, well, we'll take that one. We'll put money down. And so half the cars that were promised in the next 60 days to the dealership were already sold. Forget the ones that aren't on the lot. God, that's crazy. It is crazy. And so I, what I'm saying, if this is, if you find yourself in the next three, four months or so in which you need a car, like legitimately need a car, be ready, like go now. And I don't say buy now. I'm just saying start understanding the dynamics of this because it is like nothing you've ever experienced before. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and our discussion with Pete the Planner about supply and demand during the supply chain crisis and how that affects your negotiating. 
Now, I have only bought used cars in my life. I've never had a new car. I know nothing about leasing. Why do you, can you just tell me, I'm curious, why do you lease instead of buy? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I used to only buy used cars as well. Um, cash flow, <laughs> to, to explain this uh, is to say something that's obnoxious, okay? So cash flow isn't a, a major concern of mine, right? So it, it's to say that, you know, I, I have the budget to be able to pull that off. I don't want any fuss whatsoever of trying to repair a car. Um, I don't like cars enough to know what I like and don't like. And so um, I don't mind having a different one every three years as my life changes, as my kids get older, as my driving situations change. But I did it the way you've suggested for years. I mean, that's, that's what I did for 19 years as I bought used cars. Um, I also got incredibly lucky that what I was able to buy out my lease for was $9,000 below the market for that car. So um, I just went and turned it back in and, and sold it back to them. And they just gave me a check for $9,000 uh, because when you lease, at the end of your lease, there's something called the residual value in which you're able to then buy the car at that price. Well, because used car prices are astronomical right now, uh, I, had, I had a huge gap, uh, which it worked out. And it is unlikely that I have a similar experience three years from now. Just to, so wait, to let, me, let me make sure I get this right. So as part of the contract for leasing, you were then were able to buy the car at a, at a particular preset price. Yeah. And then you're able to turn around and say, hey, would you like to buy this car back? And they're yeah, like, so great. We'll pay you $9,000 more for it. Yeah. And, and here's what's crazy <laughs> about that. And here, here again... Uh, disclaimer number four, which is actually disclaimer number one. I'm not disparaging the auto industry or car dealers. I'm not. But the thing is, what they'll do is like, well, hey, just turn it back in and get a new one. What they don't tell you is that you can buy it and then sell it back to them. So it's, again, this is why you have to be an informed buyer. They will just as easily take that back from you and not tell you that you can buy it if you don't understand how it works. And they would also many people were encouraging me to take that $9,000 gain and apply it as a down payment on another lease to make my lease payment less. But I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to realize the $9,000 gain. And yeah. so I, again, I blame no one for this. It's just how it is and you have to understand it. It's like when you go to a bank to borrow money for a house and you ask them, how much house can I afford? They never, ever, ever answer that question. Here's the question they answer. Uh, how much money are you willing to let me borrow? Different questions, different answers. If you, if you go and try to get a particular payment at a car dealership, um, you are responsible for understanding how they got to that payment. And I don't, I don't blame the car dealer for doing what's in their best interest. You get recognized. Being a, I, I, a, a minor financial planning celebrity in Indianapolis. <laughs> Boy, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. That's okay. I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do uh, often, but I did not during any of this car buying experience. I, I, did, I definitely did not. And I also, I mean, the listeners of your show don't know me well. Uh, I, I'm not the sort of person that plays that card either. Like I just... Maybe maybe the younger me would have tried and it would have been insignificant, but I just don't. I, I that's not who I am. Gotcha. You mentioned at the top that you were, you don't feel that you're a very good negotiator. What do you not get about negotiating, or what do you just feel like you're not good at? 
Um, I'm getting better at it, and I think it's just a matter of maturity for me. Uh, something we're, we're deviating from the topic here today, but this a personal mantra for me right now is uh, get emotional about the macro and problem solve the micro. Okay, so get emotional about the macro, problem solve the micro, and and I think uh, because I like things a certain way, the younger me when something was inconvenient or not ideal, I would get emotional about it. And so when you're in a negotiation and something isn't going the way you want, it's very easy for your temperature to rise and for you to get upset by that. And so as I got, I've gotten a little bit older and settled down a little bit, I can see myself not getting emotional about it, but just problem solving it. Um, I also, I get offended when someone puts their grocery cart in the middle of the aisle at the grocery store like that deeply offends me like it's like when someone doesn't wave when you when you wave them through at a four-way stop if they don't give you the little hello thank you like that deeply hits me in my soul and so during a negotiation if someone's just working their angle i can i find myself getting offended especially if it's in my personal life as opposed to my business life at, at this point in everyone's car buying journey do you have a, a couple of negotiating tips or are is there no negotiation for anybody looking for any car? I, I would just note this is if they if someone asks you how much you're looking to spend, you know, they're, they're trying to pre-qualify what the payment situation might look like for you. And, and the weird part about that, Mason, is they are both trying to solve your problem by fitting within your budget. But and again, respectfully, they don't care how they solve that problem. What they may say is, okay, well, we'll fit within your $400 a month budget, but it's a 96 month car loan, right? It, like they'll just stretch the loan out or, and, and, and that's fine because it just solves the problem. But um, what a person should do is, is understand how long of a car loan they want, right? How that matches up with maybe what the warranty might be. <laughs> Um, and then set the payment based on that. Because if you just go in like, hey, I want a $300 a month payment, oh, you'll get a $300 a month payment, but it's not gonna be a good deal. If someone can possibly avoid buying a car right now, should they? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Anytime everyone is screwing, it almost feels like cryptocurrency. I'm not kidding. When I was at that car lot, it had such a crypto feel of this, this craze of, of car buyers. It was, it was like comical. And I'm not making fun of people. I'm saying it was comical of like how many people were on the lot. There's probably 15 sales desks in this giant showroom I was at, all filled in a line. Like it was almost like at the butcher counter. People were taking numbers to buy cars that didn't exist. It was wild. Anytime you hear a situation described like that, don't do it. And 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 the other thing is, the car dealers don't care. The car dealers are not going to be mad at me for saying don't do it because they still have. First of all, no one listens to me. Second of all, they've got they don't have enough inventory to satisfy everybody anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, it is the it is the weirdest buying experience I've ever had, and I don't believe it's isolated to my where I chose to shop because I was out all day talking to people on the north side, the south side. And, and so it was, I was at one lot. Oh, wow. So you, you just didn't like do the, that run on 96th street. You actually I went around there. Town. Yeah. I started there and then I did the south side run. You know, I went to one deal. I went to one dealership. I couldn't see a single new car on the lot. 
a single new car. There was not one I could I could visually identify. And no one walked out to be like, oh, what brings you in today? <laughs> right? like they, and like, I don't need people to service me. Like, that's not what this is about. But it was... This is why I wrote a column about it, and this is why we're 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 uh, tantalizing your listeners today, because it was so strange um, how the leverage and the dynamics of this tried and true negotiation, like it's it's you know people joke about buying cars all the time. This was no joke. This was very strange. I've got a I've got an idea that I was thinking about while I was writing questions for our interview. In the same way that you would hire like a realtor to help you buy a home, search and buy for a home, what if somebody offered the service of helping you search for the car and then would be your negotiator to buy the car? So you didn't have to do any of this stuff. And somebody who really knew what they were doing, knew what kind of incentives were available, knew how to deal with the dealers, somebody who hopefully wasn't in bed with the dealers, that struck me as something that I would be really interested in as a as a very poor negotiator and car buyer does anybody do anything like that i don't know but you just reminded me why this was so frustrating for me the last three cars i bought prior to this lease i had a friend who owned a car dealership and it's not that he gave me great deals it's that i trusted him and i i would i would literally send him a text that said hey man i need something i don't care what it is here's some parameters and he would have someone drive the car to my home. I'd look at it. I'd write him a check. And then someone else from the dealership would pick up the person. that. So I like I sort of had this concierge service because I, I, I wasn't a, like a, a, you know, a discerning buyer. I was just like, whatever. Yeah, I don't care. So what you've just described, Mason, it was something I would use because I don't want to I don't want to deal with any of it. And it, it's just not something I care about. Well, great. Well, thank you for sharing your experience. This uh, has made me very uh, uh, glad that I have a 10-year-old car that is still running. Yeah, I, I, I want to close my thoughts, of course, with a thank you to you for your time. But just to everyone else, I understand that my car buying, car buying issues are not a priority to anyone else. And I understand there are a lot bigger challenges that we face. My hope in sharing this with you is that I buy you a little bit more time so you don't find yourself frustrated and without any leverage. And I also am very thankful for the auto industry and the professionals that sell cars. I'm not looking for any hate on this thing. I just thought it was a, a sort of a slightly comical tale on what it is to buy a car in the year 2022. My thanks again to Pete Dunn. A quick reminder, his column on personal finance appears regularly in the print edition of IBJ, and you can find several years worth of his work at ibj.com. And before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories and features in the latest print edition of IBJ I wanna point out. You can get a good look at Indianapolis's future with the latest edition of IBJ's annual 40 Under 40 feature, spotlighting the young and youngish movers and shakers who are setting the tone for central Indiana and getting things done. Also in this week's issue, John Russell reports that 14 of Indiana's 54 rural hospitals are at immediate risk of closing due to continued financial losses and lack of financial reserves. 
And Mickey Shuey has details on the $80 million conversion of downtown's 20-story AT&T building into luxury apartments. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say it is quite a bit easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business, community, and economy if you're a subscriber. It works out to about $2 per week for actionable information you're not going to find anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast, which is edited by Leslie Weidenbenner. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.